Hey, thanks for joining us here today at Victory Church, where we invite people to belong before they believe. If you want to know more about who we are and what we do, or if any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us in giving to this ministry, we invite you to do so by visiting our website at victory.church. Now, let's check out this week's message from our lead pastor, John Chesty. That was the thing that shook the Roman Empire, that a man had risen from the dead, that death could not hold him. Christ is alive. Oh, you have the right words. You sing the right songs, but your heart is not right. And you can honor it is humbling yourself and being broken by the power. The first became so involved in things, and we forgot about that. That is the danger concerning us now. Well, hey, Victory Church, are you excited to be here today? Come on, can we make some noise? Hey, I want to uh, greet the Edmond Campus. It's an honor to be joining you today at the Edmond Campus, those of you watching online. uh, We meet people all the time. I met somebody just this past week from Texas who calls Victory Church their home church online. And so no matter where you are, if you call this your home church, we are excited and honored that you're with us. And maybe you're watching this uh, for the first time. Welcome. Maybe you're here for the first time. Welcome. We're, we we uh, pray that you sense God's presence. We're, we pray that we're nice to you too, but really more than that, I pray that you experience God's presence uh, in this room today. And today I want to continue a message series called Awake. And we are really pressing in here to what God wants to do, yes, in the church and in a nation, but first and foremost, God, what do you want to do in me? What do you need to wake up in me that would then spark something in a church and in a nation and in a, in a community. Today, I want to bring a message to you uh, that has a really unique story to it. It's in the book of Luke. So if you have your Bibles, uh, you can pull out your Bibles. How many of you got paper Bibles? Wave them high in the sky, way high in the air like you just don't care. That's awesome. So pull those out, get ready to mark them up and write in them. It's okay to write in your Bible. If you have a digital Bible, pull that out. You can actually go to version and click on events and select our church and all of my notes are right there. Uh, So we're going to go to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 8, if you want to start turning over to Luke chapter 8. And if you don't know where it's at, sing the song. You learned it in Sunday school. It'll get you there. Luke chapter 8. I'm going to read a lot. I'm going to read like 15 verses of scripture because I'm going to read a story to you uh, that has two stories in one story. Many of you uh, will be familiar with this story. It's the woman with the issue of blood. But laced in the middle of this story is actually another story. It actually started out as a totally different story. And then the woman with the issue of blood kind of stole the show, and then it ended back at the original story. And we're going to focus on the one that starts and ends this passage, but I'm going to read the whole thing. So buckle up. Don't don't zone out. Elbow your neighbor and say, don't zone out. All right, here we go. Luke chapter 8, verse 40 through 55. It says, so it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes thronged him. And now a woman, having a flow of blood for 12 years, who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her blood flow, flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, who touched me? And when all denied it, 
Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you, and you say, who touched me? But Jesus said, somebody touched me, for I perceived power going out from me. That's a really awesome verse, by the way. Verse 47, now when the, woman, when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And while he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, do not be afraid. And these two words is the only two words that I really need you to catch today. These two simple words, only believe. Say that with me. Say only believe. If you're watching online, type that in the chat. Only believe. That is the instruction that is given. And she will be made well. And when he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John, and the father and the mother of the girl. Now all wept and mourned for her, but he said, do not weep. She is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him, knowing that she was dead. But he put them all outside. He took her by the hand and called, saying, little girl, arise. Then her spirit returned, and she arose immediately. And he commanded that she be given something to eat. Today I want to talk to you on the subject, what about my miracle? What about my miracle? When you, when you read stories in the Bible, I'll give you a little hint on how to get into a little bit deeper context of the passages in the scriptures, is to place yourself in one of the character's shoes. Um, you know, you may read a story that has four or five people in this story, and my challenge to you would be to, to, to not just read on, but to stop and put yourself in the shoes of character number one, and try to imagine how they must have felt what they must have said, what they must have wanted to say but didn't say, and, and so on and so forth. And in this story, for the purposes of this message, I'm asking you to step outside of your own opinion and out of your own context. And for the purposes of this message, we're all going to become Jairus. Okay? Look at your neighbor and say, you are Jairus. What a cool name you have. Say that to him. Yeah. We're all going to be Jairus in, in this passage. This story really... Um, sticks out to me. I think it's because I am a father of an only daughter. I, I have two, two children, a son and a daughter, but I only have one daughter. And my daughter is close to 12. She's 13. And so it's fairly easy for me to kind of slide into the shoes of Jairus and to try to imagine what that must have felt like. Uh, when my son Jace was born, when he was just a week or two old, he came down with with a, a fever and we had to rush him to the hospital and he had to get spinal taps and all just all kinds of crazy stuff because they were afraid it was a bacterial infection and if it would have been it would have been deadly turns out it was a virus but I remember the feeling of helplessness as a parent that there's nothing I can do to fix this situation and so I want us all to become gyrus and, and maybe maybe you don't have the quite the drastic predicament that he has but what what happened was gyrus comes to Jesus and he has a problem he has a prayer request. <laughs> he has what I would call, it's the first thing if you're taking notes, I want you to write it down. He has what I would call the dilemma. The, the dilemma. And if you're a human, you have a dilemma. Right? Every single one of us in this room and at Edmund and watching online, we have a dilemma. If you don't know what your dilemma is, it's the thing that you pray about the most. 
It's the thing that you worry about the most. It's the thing that you thought of last night before you went to bed and you thought about it the moment you woke up this morning. And maybe it's not as drastic as Jairus' losing a daughter, but a dilemma is a dilemma. It's a situation that you can't find resolve on your own. And I want to point out the desperation in Jairus. I want you to think about who you are. Remember, you're Jairus. I want you to think about who you are. You're a synagogue ruler. It means you rule the synagogue. You are the president and COO of the, you're over all the operations of the synagogue. So you're a Pharisee and a Pharisee runs and falls at the feet of, at the foot of Jesus. I want to show this to you in Mark, in Mark's account of this same story. Mark put it this way in Mark 5, 22. He said, then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. Now watch the earnest, earnestly, the, 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 the dilemma here. He pleaded earnestly with him. My daughter is dying. And then Mark gives us a much more descriptive uh, effort in the story. Please come and put your hands on her so she will be healed and live. So Jairus is is, is a Pharisee, but he's heard stories of this Jesus. And perhaps he's even seen Jesus lay hands on someone and they can see And so he's coming with this desperation. And another thing that's interesting is in the beginning of the story, in verse 40, it says, so it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him for they were all waiting for him. Everybody was waiting for him. Jairus had an urgency for him. And if you look at through scriptures at many of the miracles Jesus did, many times Jesus was on his way somewhere else when someone interrupted him. And there was an urgency. There was something when, when, when blind Bartimaeus cried out, have mercy on me. And people told him to be quiet. And he shouted out all the louder. When 10 lepers shouted at Jesus, when the two blind men, when the woman with the issue of blood pressed through the crowd, there was urgency. And I want to point out, Jairus, that there's an urgency. There was something in Jairus that moved beyond his religious behavior and his Normal, routine, religious practices as a Pharisee was not enough to meet the need of the urgency of his daughter dying. And when we're faced with this dilemma, if you're really faced with a dilemma, a dilemma will force you to approach Jesus in a way that you don't normally approach Jesus. Your your prayer will be from, Jesus, just be with me today. Help me to have a great day. You ever prayed that prayer? Just help us to have a great day today, Jesus. There's a difference between saying, Jesus, help us to have a great day. And Jesus, if you don't help me, my life is going to be radically impacted. And this urgency that he comes with in this moment. So I just want to ask you, and I, do, I say this because I want to set you up. And I want you to get this in your mind. I want you to identify what is your dilemma. And don't feel guilty if it's not as drastic as Jairus's. That's okay, because a dilemma is a dilemma. And maybe yours is relational. Maybe it's a marriage issue. Maybe it's you don't know what God's going to do in your life next, and you just need clear. You need clarity of what God, where are you leading me to? Maybe it's a financial situation. Maybe it's a, a, a retirement. I don't know what the situation. Maybe it's your physical body. Maybe it's your mental health. Maybe it's something that you just need God. But you have a dilemma, okay? Now, a dilemma is usually followed by the second thing that Jairus experienced, and that is the delay. In fact, what makes it a dilemma many times is that there's a delay. If, if the dilemma gets solved quickly, then there was never really that big of a dilemma. It's the delay that makes it painstaking in this process. So, so watch, I want you to show, 
I want to show you where the delay begins in the story. Because remember, he comes to Jesus, he falls down, asks, has his dilemma, request. And then the Bible says that Jesus went with him. So in Jairus' mind, he's got to be like, okay, whew, I got the ambulance. I called 911. The ambulance is on its way. We're going we're gonna to get this resolved. And then I want to show you this in verse 42. It says, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. But as he went, just when I thought that it was going to go the way that I thought it was going to go, the multitudes thronged him. What a fun word that is. We'll talk about that in a minute. And then verse 43 this, it's, it's almost like the author forgot about the story and started writing a different story in the middle of this story. Verse 43, now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years and Jairus has to be going, hold up, wait, this is my story. Does the author have ADD? Get back on track. This is about me. What about my miracle? What about what you started to do for me, Jesus, and you gave this confirmation and you started to walk my way and all of a sudden, Jairus' deliverance became delayed. And this delay is something that really makes it difficult, doesn't, doesn't it? You know, if you've got this figured out, you polish your halo and the rest of us will wrestle with this. But the delay is what makes this so challenging for all of us. And this word thronged, I use the New King James Version on purpose because in Luke eight forty two it says, but as he went, the multitudes thronged him that is not a word that I use in my common vocabulary but this word thronged in the Greek is the Greek word sumigo and it means to choke to press around to press around is almost to suffocate and the crowd begin to suffocate Jesus but remember Jesus Jairus is with Jesus so if the proud if the crowd is pressing around Jesus then the crowd is pressing around Jairus and he's getting shoved to the side and having to witness someone else get the miracle that he was supposed to be getting. It's almost as if his miracle got choked out while he had to watch somebody else's miracle get lived out. And I don't know if you've ever been in this situation before. I remember um, Michelle and I, when we first got married a couple of years in, we started trying to have kids. And we, you know, we couldn't, we couldn't have children. We went to specialists. We spent lots of money and waited lots of time. Uh, and it was a real challenge for us because we would pray, we would seek the Lord, we would ask God, we are going to raise godly kids in a godly home. And then you see people that aren't living for the Lord just popping kids out left and right. And you're like, what? Like I, would, I had friends that would be like, I don't know what happened. I don't even know how it happened. I'm like, are you stupid? You don't know how it happens? <laughs> like, I don't know. I just breathed on her and she got pregnant. I'm like, I hate you right now. I, and I remember having this same feeling. What about my miracle? And if, if you've prayed long enough for God to do something in your life and then you watch other people experience what you were supposed to get, you've prayed for a new job and then your deadbeat coworker gets the raise that you thought you were going to get. Or you've been asking God to heal your mortal body for a really long time and then some random person gets healed the first time they're prayed for. There, there's moments in our life, if you're being honest, that that we feel like Jairus in these moments where, where he says, what about my miracle? But what I want to pose to you, I want to pose this question to you, and then I want to try to unpack it. Let me, let me ask you this question. What if the delay was deliberate? Okay. I, I, would, I would present to you that Jesus kind of has a habit of doing this, um, intentionally making us wait 
intentionally trying to show us that it's just as much about the journey as it is about the destination. That there's something in this journey that he wants to teach us so that in the next journey we don't have to learn the same thing over again. He has a tendency to, to delay on purpose. If you don't believe me, ask Mary and Martha. Remember this story in, in John chapter 11 when Mary and Martha's brother Lazarus gets sick and Lazarus and Jesus are boys. Like they grew up playing basketball together. I don't know what they did together, but they were like, they were friends. And Mary and Martha send word to Jesus saying, Lazarus, the one you love is sick. And the Bible says that Jesus stayed where he was for two more days. He deliberately delayed because he wanted to teach Mary and Martha something. He wanted to show them that I'm, I'm not here to meet your expectations. I'm here to exceed your expectations. You just wanted me to heal Lazarus. I came to bring resurrection, to show you a part of Jesus that you've never experienced before. And so there's something that he wants to teach us in this journey. So I don't know if you ever noticed this or not before, but in this story, two totally separate stories, but only as God can do, he intertwines them together. And I want to begin to show you how these two stories are very, very related. Uh, the woman had an issue of blood for 12 years. The young girl who was dying was 12 years old. Now think about this. When the woman with the issue of blood, when her issue began was the day that this little girl was born. And when her issue came to resolve was the day that this 12-year-old girl issue was birthed, right? So there's got to be something God's trying to show us in this. And if you've studied the number 12, a lot of the numbers in the Bible have biblical representation or symbolisms. The number 12 in the Bible symbolizes divine rule. The sovereignty of God. Uh, there was 12 disciples. Uh, there was 12 sons of Jacob that became the 12 tribes of Israel. 12 is a number in the Bible that screams out, God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. And so locked in this story of confusion, of delay, of struggle, is this idea that sometimes the delay is by design. And it's way easier to preach about this than it is to live this. Because I get just as frustrated as you do when God doesn't show up when I need him to show up. Now watch this. So the woman touches, uh, the woman touches the edge of his garment, and then Jesus stops. Many times Jesus would heal, and then he would teach. He would show, and then he would explain. And he does this to this woman, and I want to present to you that he wasn't just talking to the woman. Remember, Jairus is sitting right next to him saying, what about my miracle? What about my disappointment? What about my struggle? And in Luke 48, Luke 8, 48, he says, daughter, be of good cheer. Now watch these words. Your faith has made you well. And I think he was talking to, to the woman and glancing over at Jairus every now and again. Hey, Jairus, this is about the journey. I'm about to teach you something. Your faith, your faith has made you well, has made you well. And I, I believe that because of the very next verse. The very next verse, while Jesus is still preaching his sermon, Jairus gets a text message. And this is what the text message was in verse 49. And while Jesus was still speaking, his friend texted him and said, your daughter is dead. It's too late. Give up. So, Here's what happened in Jairus' life. His life went from a dilemma to a delay to despair. And usually, like, 
we like to hear it preached that it was delayed, but then God came through and it's a happy ending and everything's great. But for Jairus's life, it seemed to go one step further into hopelessness. <laughs> this, is, this is such an encouraging message so far. So for him, it went to this moment of despair. And think about this. I, I love this, this thought that, this, that this, the, the dichotomy of these two things happening simultaneously where one miracle happened with a little girl being born while one woman's struggle began 12 years ago. And then when she receives her deliverance, Jairus's struggle begins. And how the disparity, the, the struggle, the despair in this process, and this word despair in the Greek and the Hebrew, it's translated very similarly. Similar, It means to be at an utter loss, to be utterly hopeless. It doesn't mean that there's like a, a, an ounce of hope and we can, just, we can keep hoping just a little bit. It means that there, there is no hope. There have, you have no reason to hope. And maybe your daughter hasn't died, but maybe your dream has died. Or, or maybe your marriage has died. Or maybe your, your career has seemingly died. And, and you thought you were on the trajectory like this. And then all of a sudden, in your, in your 40s or 50s, in your 60s, and you were like, man, I never thought that I would find myself starting over when I had made such a good trajectory and you come to this point where you're feeling like you're in despair. But the good news is that we're in good company. David felt despair. The Bible over and over again in the book of Psalm, David's constantly talking to his own soul, trying to encourage himself because he's in despair as Saul chases after him. Elijah was in despair. Elijah ran from, from uh, Jezebel. It said that he sat down under a broom bush and prayed that he might die. You talk about despair. All through, the, all through the scriptures, we see people in utter despair over and over. Even Jesus, y'all, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was in such despair that he sweat drops of blood. So we're in good company. But in the middle of the story, I want to show you some good news. And if you weren't paying attention, you would have passed over it and not saw it. It's five words that follows directly after the bad news. Right after Jairus gets the text. Right? right after his, his, his person comes and tells him, hey, your daughter is dead, it's over, leave the teacher alone. The next verse doesn't say, so Jairus went back home and lived out his life in despair. The Bible says the very next verse, the first five words of verse 50 says, but when Jesus heard it. That's a big but, right? We've talked about this in our church before. There's big buts in the Bible. And in the Bible, we like big butts and we cannot lie. We think they're awesome. That's an awesome, that is awesome. He is in utter despair, but Jesus is like, oh, but I heard, I heard what's going on. Jesus heard it. And anytime you find despair in the New Testament, many times you will see Jesus following. Remember, remember when Mary and Martha, he, G, Jesus comes to Mary and Martha and he takes them to the tomb. He says, show me where you put him. And then the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. This is good news for us in Psalm, in Psalm 34, 18. It says, the Lord is close to the wealthy. <laughs> no. The Lord is close to whom their lives are going perfectly. No. The Lord chooses to be close to the brokenhearted. He's close. He hears your pain. He hears your distress. The Bible says when the Israelites in Egypt cried out, it says the Lord heard their cry and came to deliver them from their despair. 
And I want you to hear today, if you're, if you're hopeless, if you're at the end of your rope, if you're watching online, and maybe you're here at Edmond and you feel suicidal, can I just tell you, Jesus brought you to this message today to hear the words of this tall, goofy guy, to, to tell you and to instruct you that Jesus hears your pain and he comes to deliver you of your pain and your despair. And it does not mean that it's over because in fact, the very next verse in verse 50, that same verse in verse 50, it says, when Jesus heard it, he answered him and gave instructions. Jairus, here's your instructions. Do not be afraid. Only believe. Only believe. The fourth thing I want to talk to you about is this idea that we are called to only. The only thing, the only thing is believe. And you're like, well, that just sounds, that's silly, John. That's crazy. That just sounds insane. What, what, what does that mean? Let me unpack this for a second. Let me describe to you Jairus, okay? We're all Jairus in this text, so let me describe you to yourself, okay? We know two things about you. One, you're a synagogue ruler. The Bible tells us that you're a synagogue ruler. Synagogue rulers are the boss. You know what bosses do? They control stuff. They're in control. In fact, if you think about According to Levitical law, this woman with the issue of blood, when she was deemed healed, guess what she would have had to have done? She would have had to go to the priest and present herself, and then the priest would call her clean. The first place she's probably going to try to go is to synagogue to be deemed clean. Jairus would have been in control of deciding whether or not she's deemed clean. Here Jairus is again in control. The second thing we know about Jairus is that he was a father. He's a father. We know that this was his only daughter and that his daughter was 12 years old. Now, in Jewish custom, when you're, if you're a boy, when you're 13, you have a bar mitzvah. And it means that you're coming into, you're coming into the, you have to fall in line with the commandments, right? And so you, become a, you go from being a boy to being a man. Now, the interesting thing is in many Jewish customs, Orthodox, Orthodox, Orthodox Jewish custom, a girl doesn't have a bar mitzvah. They have a bat mitzvah at the age of 12, because we all know that girls mature way faster than boys, right? <laughs> so at the same time, Jairus is learning this lesson that I'm not in control. He's, he has this daughter that is at age 12 that now she's not a girl anymore. She's becoming a woman. You must release her. She is not yours, Jairus. She is the Lord's. So many times, I would present to you, many times when you're in a season where you have a dilemma, that is delayed and you're finding yourself in despair, the reason many times that you're in despair is because it's not going the way that you wanted it to go. Which is telling us that we are not in control. But number 12 does mean divine rule, not gyrus rule. It's God's design. It's God's timing. And that we must learn this, one of the most hardest lessons that we can ever learn as believers is that, is that you can have it one or two ways. You can either have control or you can have faith, but you can't have both. And I believe that Jesus is walking Jairus through a learning lesson to say, Jairus, your whole life you've been able to control and manipulate and position and shift and do everything that you think you need to do to fix the situation. In fact, Jairus, you even come running to me because you thought you could make me fix it the way you wanted it to be fixed. But I'm just here to tell you, Jairus, you're not in control. And I'm going to show you that the way that I want to do it 
is actually better than the way you want to do it. If we will simply have faith. Amen. You can clap. It's okay to clap in church. Come on. All right. So let me show you this word believe. This word believe in the Greek is the Greek word pistuo. And it means to think to be true, to be persuaded of, to credit, to place confidence in. So to give credit, I think the credit one is kind of cool because when you use your credit card, basically what you're saying is I'll pay for this later. I'm just going to swipe this card now and I'm going to put it on credit. Faith works like this. You're not saying that it's happening right now. You're saying that I'm believing by credit. I'm believing it to be so even though it has not become so yet. So this word only in the Greek, this word only is the Greek word manun, which means alone, which means all by itself. So basically the the Greek word for only is only. Now, this is kind of cool. This Greek word only is in one of the other stories that told the woman with the issue of blood. We've heard this story, you've heard this phrase before in the text where the woman with the issue of blood said, if I can only touch the hem of his garment. I believe the woman with the issue of blood is learning the same lesson that Jairus learned. Because the Bible says that she had spent all she had on physicians trying to figure it out for herself. She went to med.com and watched all the YouTube videos and she called the doctors and she did this and she did that and finally she came to the resolve of there's really only one thing left to do. Believe. And have you, do you ever do this before? Like I'll try all kinds of stuff and then I'm like, well, I guess we should just pray about it. <laughs> like praying is the last resort. Like we, we, I'll try everything else. And then I'm like, well, I guess I'll ask the Lord to help me. <laughs> and so I just think it's fascinating that Jairus is learning the same process and the same journey that this woman with the issue of blood learned. And Jesus has this way of taking really complicated things and just making them about one thing. And this is really hard for us to do as humans because we want options. You know, well, maybe I could finagle this and figure this out. I'll make this phone call and I'll do this. And if I can just meet the right person at the right time, and maybe if I can rub elbows with the right person and get noticed by the right person, can I just tell you something? Jesus can put you in the right room, in the right seat, at the right time to meet the right person. You don't need to manipulate it. You don't need to manipulate it. This, this one time, Jesus took a really complicated thing and brought it down to one. Jesus goes to visit uh, Mary and Martha. You know the story. It's in Luke 10, and, and Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus and just, ah, oh, you're so great. And Martha's like, I'm doing all the cooking in here, and I, I don't understand why Mary won't help me. And so she starts bickering and complaining to Jesus. Jesus, will you tell Mary to come in here and help me? And Jesus tells Martha, 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 you are worried and upset about many things. But there's really only one thing that you need to worry about. And Mary has picked the right one. She's picked the right thing, and I will not take it from her. Jesus took this complicated thing and brought it down to one little thing. And this is what Jesus does in our predicaments, in our situations, our dilemmas, our delays, and our despair. Jesus says, Can you, do you have the faith to just take your hands off of it and get the spirit of Carrie Underwood and let Jesus take the wheel, right? Can, can you just... Can you step back for a minute and believe what you already know to be true? Because you don't you believe that God's ways are higher than your ways? Don't you believe that God's thoughts are greater than your thoughts? 
Don't you believe that God's timing is better than your timing? Then why do we try to control and manipulate? God's saying, I just need you to do one thing. Just one thing. Only believe. Only believe. It'd be like if the coach came to the kicker and said, hey, I just need you to do one thing. You put this ball through that little square thing up there. One thing, okay? You ain't got nothing else to worry about. Now, I acknowledge that this is really easy to preach about in, in about 14 minutes and 48 seconds. I'll walk off this stage and I'll join you in my struggle to believe. It is a daily reminding myself, overcoming my doubt, overcoming my circumstances and trying to just put my blinders back on and say, God, everything around me tells me the opposite, but I believe, I believe, I believe that you, you are capable of doing this. And so let me, let me show you, let me show you how, how serious Jesus is about this. It's one thing for Jesus to say it. Jesus says, only believe. But then in verse 51, he shows us the importance of this. And for, in verse 51, it says that when he came to the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John, and the father and the mother. Jesus had to have been thinking, surely my boys believe. They've seen me walk on water. They've seen me open the eyes of the blind. They've seen me heal the crippled and the lame. They've seen me forgive sins. They've seen me heal lepers. Surely, these are Peter, James, and John, surely they'll believe. And surely mom and dad. Mom and dad wants their little girl healed more than anybody else. Surely, surely they can believe for it. Surely they're the ones that have the dilemma in the first place. They, they can believe. And this shows the importance of who you let in to your life. Who are you listening to with, about your dilemma? What is CNN telling you that you should probably kick out of the room? Right? This shows the importance of how important it is. And then the very next verse, 52 uh, Jesus, Jesus tells him, hey, she's not dead. She's just asleep. She's just asleep. Which tells me that in our situations and our dilemmas, what we call dead, Jesus calls dormant. And what seems dead to us, the dream, the hope, the thing that was once alive, the thing that was once burning inside of us, that we have become in despair about because of the delay and the dilemma is too great for me to even try to comprehend. God's like, exactly, I don't need you to comprehend it. I need you to take your hands off of it and just believe that I'm capable of doing it. And that's when the supernatural begins to happen. And so, verse 53, this is crazy to me. And they ridiculed him. Can you imagine? I mean, maybe, maybe the mom and dad, he's a Pharisee. I, you know, I, I can kind of grasp that. But Peter, James, and John ridiculing Jesus. And then it says why they, why they ridiculed him. Because they knew, they knew she was dead. I could totally see Peter doing this. Totally see Peter doing this. I could see Peter like, well, Jesus, let me explain something to you. Um, I know that you're the creator of the universe, but there's a same thing too you need to learn, so let me tell you. And, and so we, we see what happens in, in the very next verse, verse 54. But he put them outside. Now, I don't think Jesus cussed, but if he did, that would have been an awesome part to do it. Like, I don't think he did, but man, if Jesus was ever going to lose his temper and tell Peter and James and John off, that would have been the part that he just, y'all get 
you know. But this is the part that strikes me. Jesus puts them out and he proceeds to do this miracle, right? Now picture, let's, let's take ourselves out of Jairus' shoes for a minute and put ourselves in the shoes of Peter, James, and John. And we're sitting outside this room listening to a miracle that we could have been a part of. I could have been in there and witnessed breath come back into a little girl. I could have been in there and witnessed blood start pumping through. I could have heard her first. I could have seen the tears flow down her face as she flung her arms around Jesus and they worshiped together. And instead, I'm out here with these fools. Here's, here's my resolve in that situation. I don't want to miss it. I don't, I don't know exactly what God's going to do in my life, in the life of this church, in the life of our nation. But what I have resolved to, to, to say is that if, if me believing is all I need to do to stay in the room to witness something great, I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss it. I... I believe that revival is coming to our church. I believe that revival is coming to our nation. And I don't want to miss it. And I need to allow myself to stir up, muster up some faith to believe that God can do something. And I'm not saying that's an easy task. It might be the most difficult task we could ever do. But it's my job to, 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 to get myself in this mode of, of believing. Now, my mind goes to crazy places when I read the Bible sometimes. My mind went to... What if Peter would have, because it would have been Peter that did this. He was the stubborn one of the bunch. What if he just would have put his hand on him and said, I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. I asked myself the question, would Jesus have still performed the miracle? And you would think, well, yes, he would. He's Jesus. He's not going to allow this little girl to remain dead. And I wrestle with this, and I'm not saying that I know either way, but I do know that Jesus, this one time in, 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 the, book of, in the book of Mark, it, it says that he could do, one translation says he could do no miracles there. This translation says he could do few miracles there because of their lack of faith. And the, you can look at all the translations. You can look at the Greek word of that. It does not say he wouldn't. It says he couldn't. Is it possible that sometimes the issues in my life, the issues around me, the issues in relationships and finances and all the struggles and despair and dilemmas in my life are because I have had a lackluster faith that maybe the only thing holding me back is me. It's nobody else's fault. I, I just came today to present some stuff to you to try to get you to understand the importance of faith. Faith is not this patty cake thing that, yay, we should all have faith and believe. Faith is the crux of our faith. It's the crux of what we believe. Do we believe? Can we move past our feelings of what the world presents to us and trust and know that God is capable to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ever ask, believe, or hope, or imagine. And the good news is, if you're thinking, man, I just don't know, John, if I can, this, this is a lot. How do, I, how do I have faith? The good news is Jesus tells us how much faith to have. This one time the disciples came to him and they were like, hey, we can't cast demons out. Tell us, tell us why we can't do this. It's in Matthew 17. And he says, we can't do this. How, how, how do you do this? And, and he says, why can't we do this? And Jesus says, because, of, because you have so little faith. 
But then he goes on to say, but don't worry. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there. All based on faith. All, but do you know how big a mustard seed is? It's tiny. If we can just must, I just came up with a dad joke. If we can muster enough mustard seed faith. That was not in my notes and that was so brilliant. Man, that was good. Muster it up. Okay, I'll quit. That's pretty cheesy. It's pretty bad. So, so the despair, watch the, watch the progression, okay? The dilemma, the delay, the despair. What is the resolve to the dilemma, the delay, and the despair? Only believe. Only believe. Because before, before Jesus woke up Jairus' daughter, he woke up Jairus' faith. Only believe. And then number five, write this down. This is the best part. Then came the awakening. Then came the awakening. What if the heals, what, what, if, what if revival for our nation is waiting for us to believe that revival is possible? Right? What if before God awakens our nation, he wants to awaken our faith? And instead of all... What do you hear about our nation? All I hear is doom and gloom. Well, it's over. Our, the values of our nation have eroded. It's over. We might as well give up. No, I, I'm going to believe that Jesus can resurrect something that seems dead. But, but, and I don't know what your marriage feels like, but I'm going to be, just believe with you that Jesus can resurrect your marriage, even though it feels dead. And I'm going to believe that Jesus can resurrect your, the, his, his relationship with your kids, even though it feels dead. And I'm going to believe that Jesus can resurrect your finances and your retirement and your health and your mental health. And that what we call dead, he calls dormant. You know the grass in Oklahoma, this Bermuda grass? People come from other states and, and they come here in the winter. They're like, man, this place is dead. Like it's just, it's brown. But we know, don't we? It's not dead. It's dormant. Oh, it's going to be green soon. It's going to be thick and green. And if you don't cut it soon enough, it'll get so thick your lawnmower will get bogged down with it. But guess what brings on the Bermuda? Heat. Heat. God may be heating up your situation because he's about to breathe new life into it. That what you call dead, he's just called dormant. And he's about to do something miraculous if you can believe. If you can believe. I want to challenge you today with this. Luke 8, verse 54, it says, but he put them all outside. What do you need to put outside today? What thoughts, what people, what memories do you need to kick out of the room? And it says that Jesus took her by the hand and called saying, little girl, arise. I think Jesus was like, girl, get up. Come on. Get up. Get up. And the Bible says that her spirit returned. It means that it was gone. And it came back. Came back. It means it wasn't too late. It wasn't too late. It just took some mustard seed faith to recall what was seemingly gone. Would you bow your heads with me, Father? I pray that your spirit would come into this room. If you are not already here, my goodness, I pray that you would invade the Edmond campus, that you would invade this campus, that you would invade living rooms and bedrooms and 
cars, wherever people are listening to this, may the power of the Holy Spirit invade that place. Because this is where a sermon ends and your ministry begins. You got to take it from here because I can't do anything from here, Lord. You must move your people. You must stir our hearts. You must challenge us and convict us and encourage us. Speak to us. Thank you for joining us here today for this week's message. And here at Victory Church, we are called to equip people to live in His presence, move beyond ourselves, and be transformed. And this can only happen through your radical generosity, your serving, and your prayers. If this message or any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us by giving into this ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at victory.church/give. Thank you again for joining us and have a great day.